We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We see blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. We are continuing our exploration of Al-Ghazali's Kimya Sa'ada and um, Fire Away, for wherever it is we left off. Okay. What's the session called? Um, Excursus about alchemy. Yes. Just as that alchemy that tr transforms copper and bronze to the purity and beauty of pure gold is difficult and not known by everyone, so too the alchemy that will transform the essence of man from his baseness and bestiality to the purity and preciousness of the angelic state in order to achieve everlasting happiness is also difficult and not known by all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is a small side point in terms of alchemy. That So alchemy is the predecessor of chemistry, right? Alchemia is is alchemy in Arabic. And and so part of the, the goal of alchemy was a transformation of of these these different um, I don't want to say chemicals, but these different substances. And so that is also what he is saying about us. And so what is it that we're seeking to get to? The level of the angel. Uh, what does that mean? What do you think? We're trying to like rid ourselves of impurities mm -hmm. so to speak and so what is it about angels that's so pure for example they cannot help but obey a law yeah exactly and so so the essence of our being is obedience to Allah and so as we know they can question Allah um, but they cannot disobey Allah it is not even in their capability and so humans are superior because we have free will but if a human can reach the state of an angel, meaning out of free will, be someone who cannot disobey Allah, then that's actually a higher status. Mm -hmm. And so that's the essence of, or the goal, I should say, of transformation. Okay, continue. The purpose of this book is to describe the compounding of this alchemy which, in truth, is the alchemy of eternal spiritual happiness. Okay, so then what are we saying is the consequence of this? It's happiness. And so happiness, obviously, on the other side, but happiness also on this side. And happy, you know, like people ask me, am I happy? And it's a very strange question, because um, I believe the answer is yes for me. Uh, but I could also be sad in a given moment and still be overall happy, right? I had a student who asked me, okay, then what makes you happy? And I said, ice cream. You know, I mean, that's the first thing that literally came to mind. Of course, it should be something like prayer, right? But but the point being, uh, another word for, for so, so sa'ada, which is commonly translated as happiness, think of it more as like a visceral happiness. Because obviously the prophet, peace be upon him, had sadness. The prophet, peace be upon him, had pain. The prophet, peace be upon him, had anger and such. And did he also have Sa'ada? I think anybody would say yes. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah. <clears throat> With this in mind, I have named this book The Alchemy of Happiness. Okay. Yeah, keep going. The noun alchemy is preferred because the difference between copper and gold lies not in yellowness, and the reward of this alchemy is nothing more than mere wealth in this world. Yeah, read the whole paragraph. <clears throat> How long does this world itself last? How great is the difference between bestial and angelic attributes, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high? 
But the fruit of this alchemy of happiness is eternal. There is no limit to it. Its varieties of pleasure have no end, nor shall any annoyance tarnish its pleasure. Okay, good. So, a couple things. Uh, what does he mean, what does he seem to mean when he's saying that the non-alchemy is preferred because the difference between copper and gold lies not in yellowness? Because it's not something on the outside. It's yeah. a physical change. Or a, a chemical change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's a chemical change as yeah. opposed to just painting uh, copper mm -hmm. uh, with gold-colored paint. And so... And so what does that also mean? That uh, if I change my costume, if I change the clothing that I'm wearing, then naturally I haven't changed the person that I am. If I change my name, I haven't changed the person that I am. And so so what we're talking about here is something in, uh, internal. And that's where real transformation is. And, and this is something you often find with people who are uh, categorized as militants, that more often than not, they, they burn out. And as militant as they were, let's say, quote-unquote, in Dean, they become equally militant in something else, like partying or something, you know. Because um, it didn't actually, the, the Dean didn't actually uh, really reach inside of them. It became something that they dressed as a hammer. And, and so, so we're talking about something very, very deeply internal, this type of transformation. And then how long does this world last? Okay, it doesn't last that long, but yet we're talking about a happiness that transcends this world. <clears throat> and, and then likewise, changing copper into gold, that's only useful in this world. Like we say, you can't take it with you. But the animal versus the angelic, think about how big the difference is between the two. The, an, the, the angel or the angelic cannot disobey Allah. The animal cannot disobey its own appetites. And that's almost the central battle. Good. To shift from whatever my appetites are, whatever my desires are, to whatever it is that Allah Ta'ala wills for me. Good. And that is how we go from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Okay. Well, let us continue. Know that the Philosopher's Stone of the Alchemist is not to be found in any old woman's cupboard. Rather, it is found in the treasury of kings. So too the alchemy of happiness is not everywhere. It is in the divine treasury. And the treasury of God is the essence of the angels in the heavens and the hearts of the prophets on earth. So whoever, other than the noble prophets, seeks to achieve this alchemy is in error. In the season of the resurrection, his insolvency will be disclosed, and his false coinage made public. His imaginings will disgrace him, and it will be said to him, Now we have removed from thee thy covering, and piercing is thy sight this day. Okay, good. So, you know, the original title of Harry, uh, Harry Potter was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they decide Americans aren't going to understand that. <laughs> and if the Americans hear philosopher, then they're going to get turned off. Uh, what is the Philosopher's Stone? It's the thing that could turn, like... Uh, I forgot what it was, but something into gold. Yeah, lead into gold. Lead into gold. So lead is it was considered to be basically the most useless, most basic of all metals, and gold being the most precious. The goal was to have this this mysterious stone that could make that transformation happen. Uh, happen. So what we're also saying is that this recipe that we're talking about is not common. 
right? It says, well, not be, it's not to be found in, in any old woman's cupboard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where you find recipes and ingredients and such. No, this is in the treasury of kings. This is what we're talking about in the course of this book is the most valuable uh, thing that a person can possess or learn, which is the tool of their internal happiness to move towards Allah Ta'ala. And so thus we speak of it as being in the divine treasury. The treasury of God is the essence of angels in the heavens and the hearts of the prophets uh, on, uh, on the earth. <coughs> so that's where the treasury of Allah is. It is in Iman. That is the treasury of Allah. Everything else is of lesser value other than Iman. So whoever other than the noble prophet seeks to achieve this alchemy is in error. Meaning, if you're trying to bypass the prophet's peace be upon him, you're already on the wrong path. And notice it say, in the season of resurrection, his insolvency will be disclosed and his false coinage made public. And so it's kind of like on the day of judgment, everything's going to be turned inside out. That which was private may be made public. And that which was public is mostly irrelevant. You know, all the things that we know about ourselves that nobody else knows, but Allah Ta'ala knows, and the wrong among those things, if we keep them private, inshallah, Allah will also keep them private, but if we don't, then Allah Ta'ala will definitely reveal them, and will be held to account for them. Okay, continue. Okay. Of the greatest of the mercies of God Most High, one is that he sent 1,200... 124,000 prophets to mankind for this purpose, to teach them the formula of this alchemy, and to inform them how to place the soul in the crucible of striving, and how to cleanse it from the immoral characteristics from which come the wickedness and tarnishing of the soul, and how to draw the praiseworthy attributes to it. It was for this, as God Most High himself gloried in his own sovereignty and purity, that he further glorified himself, by sending the prophets, may God bless them all. And he tasked them, saying, All that is in the heavens and all that is in earth, in the earth glorifieth God, the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One, the Mighty, the Wise. It is he who hath sent among the unlettered ones a messenger of their own to recite unto them, unto them his revelations and to purify them and to teach them the book and wisdom, though before this they were indeed in manifest error. Okay, good. So let's look at this piece by piece. <laughs> so Allah Ta'ala is, makes creation, and one of his greatest mercies is, is that he guides creation, as opposed to just letting creation wander around. So he makes creation, he makes the Day of Judgment. And, and so creation, the first thing we need to know at the very least is that there is a Day of Judgment. And so one of his greatest mercies is this guidance which comes through people being the prophets, peace be upon them. And so keep that point in mind, uh, even when we speak of the Quran, it's coming through and part of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Uh, If you remove Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, somehow from the story, you no longer have the Quran, because the Quran is being sent to him, through him. And it's, it's altering his life as he then manifests it and teaches it. So the point I'm making is, uh, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking, thinking of him as a mailman. Here's a Quran, and now he has to deliver it to all of us. It's more like the Quran is implanted into him, 
and becomes part of him, through which then he is conducting himself in whatever way he does. And then prior to that, already he was already the truth, right? Asadah al Amin. And so, so the point being that um, he was already to truly receive the guidance, he was already pure. And there we already have some rudiments of the formula that to receive the actual guidance of the Qur'an, I have to purify myself. So there's a level of guidance of the Qur'an to teach me how to purify myself, and then there's a level of guidance of the Qur'an after I have purified myself. Make sense? And so this is essentially the function of all these prophets. And really, really, like if you imagine a globe, there isn't a, a nation anywhere on the globe that hasn't received a prophet in its history. And many nations have received countless prophets of these 124,000. To teach them the formula of this alchemy and to inform them how to place the soul, here translated as dil, in the crucible of striving. And so one of the difficulties of this translation is <clears throat> when he's using soul, does he mean nafs or does he mean qalb? So, or does he mean ruh? And I think more often than not, he's, he means nafs. Because okay. uh, ruh is sort of this thing that is beyond us. Right? We know about it except a little. That's what the, the Quran says. In the crucible is striving how to cleanse it from the immoral characteristics which, which, from which come the wickedness and tarnishing of the soul. Again, I think he's speaking of nafs, and how to draw the praiseworthy attributes to it. So, this is essentially what we're saying, that one way to look at the prophets, we find is that they're calling us to Allah. Okay. Uh, on top of that, they're, t they're teaching us how to turn to Allah. Right? And then they're also teaching us a formula to be able to teach it to other people. And, and so this book, this whole book is literally, it's a rewording of the Quran and the, and the Sunnah. That's basically the extent of this book. And there are other points where Ghazali is introducing some of his own ideas to help make sense of this. That's the core of what this, real, this book really is. And, and I think that's basically it. And then so the, the ayahs that are being quoted, all that is in the heavens and the earth, glorifies Allah. So that's the default of everything. And then he sent the prophets with this purpose of guiding us, of teaching us, and such. Okay, uh, next paragraph, inshallah. This purifying them is to cleanse them of the unbecoming traits that are the attributes of the brutish beasts. Teaching them the book and the wisdom is that mankind be clothed in the raiment of angelic, angelic attributes. Okay, yeah, so the purifying them is to cleanse them. There is a debate whether or not a non-profit can cleanse someone that's not really as relevant for us but the point is this is what the prophets themselves do and then teaching the book and the wisdom is to be clothed in the raiment of angelic attributes so how does this happen it's coming from allah through people the prophets to us by way of knowledge and so when we internalize the knowledge then that's a step for transformation otherwise it is just mere information meaning remembering the knowledge is one thing Internalizing, meaning practicing it and embodying it. That's what we're seeking to do. Okay. And finishing off the section. The object of this alchemy is to strip away all that should not be the attributes of deficiency and to adorn a person with, that, with what should be the attributes of perfection. 
the secret of this alchemy is that one must turn away from this world and bring oneself to God Most High, as he first taught the Prophet, saying, Remember the name of thy Lord, Oops, sorry. and devote thyself to him, a great devotion. The meaning of devotion is to cut oneself off from all else and give oneself to him in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So again, so one way we describe it is uh, is to remove from the animal who who listens only to its own appetites to the angel which is listening only to what Allah is calling for and another way to describe it which is essentially the same thing <clears throat> is to move from the world to the oneness of Allah so the multitudes of what's offered in the world move away from that to the oneness of Allah now the point to think about is to move away from the world, you're still physically going to be in the world. So what we're talking about is we're moving away from how the world controls us to being in control or to being controlled by Allah Ta'ala. So remember the name of your Lord and devote yourself to him, a great devotion. So as we discussed at the very end of the last session, this is something that takes a whole lot of work. Okay. Um, let's skim through this, uh, the contents of this work. Alright. So, as for the alchemy's proglamina. Yeah, prolegomena. Prolegomena? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> prolegomena is sort of like a preface, but I think it's sort of saying it's a preface, but also stands on its own. Um, it is about the knowledge of four things and its pillars. Are there, are the four forms of conduct. For each pillar, there are ten chapters, as is found in the contents, four topics, four pillars, and each pillar having ten chapters. All of this book and its contents are what has been cited, should God most high will it. Okay. So, the first one is, uh, 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 well, actually looking at the topics, which we'll be getting into in the Prolegomena, to know the true nature of oneself, okay. to know God, to know the nature of this world, to know the afterlife, so look at the first two as being a pair mm -hmm. and the second two being a pair. The second two, it's easier to understand. To know the true nature of this world, the true nature of the next world. And then in the first part, to know yourself and to know God. Now notice it doesn't say to know the true nature of God that is beyond our realm, except as Allah wills. And so... Uh, the theme of the first two sections is the better I know myself, the better I will know Allah Ta'ala. Meaning, the better I know myself, the less filters I will have that will prevent me, that otherwise prevent me from getting closer to Allah Ta'ala. And then we have the pillars of being a Muslim. So, ex two externals, two internals. Two pillars concerning the externals are the first, which is execution of God's commands. Acts of worship. And then what's the second one? Uh, the second pillar is about observing properties or proprieties in movement and rest and in social intercourse, which is called mutual relation. Yeah, and so that's one of the, the central categories of Islamic law. And another way to think about this is that where is much of Islam found? It is in relationships. How do we interact with Allah Ta'ala? How do we interact with the Prophet, peace be upon him? How do we interact with nature? How do we interact with people? And most of it is going to be how do we interact with people? That is where much of Islam is found.
and then the internals so then then we have those attributes in moral traits anger miserliness envy pride conceit these traits are called the destroyers and they are obstacles on the road and then the other would be the adornment of the heart with patience gratitude love hope and trust they're the deliverers so now a way to think about this is that on the one hand we have the poisons and on the other hand we have the vitamins so anger is a poison miserliness is a poison envy is a poison prize a poison conceit is a poison okay. uh, now does this mean there's no such thing as anger uh, that there's no good anger no that's not what it's saying just like there is proper anger there's proper envy there's proper vaira, which is sort of ish like pride and just as there can be bad patience bad gratitude bad love bad hope and usually um, they're bad if it involves being abused but the default is here's the poisons that prevent me from getting closer to Allah and then here's the vitamins that help me get closer to Allah okay and then then he gives us more details about the chapters we don't have to go through that let's see the next page next page is more the same see where it says um, <clears throat> in this work mm -hmm. yeah read there in this work we explain these four topics and the 40 points for Persian speakers so why Persian because Persian was the language of high culture back then mm -hmm. and the way English is today you know that English is our common discourse but it is also the dominant language of the world and, and I think we mentioned last time that Ihya, which he's going to talk about in a second is written primarily for scholars whereas this is the general public okay continue we have refrained from penning long ab abstruse phrases and fine difficult distinctions so that the general public may comprehend it should a person have the desire for more detailed and refined information about this he must consult books in arabic such as the revival of the religious sciences the essentials of the quran and other works that we have written about these matters in arabic the object of this book is the general public who have cried for such a book in Persian. The level of discourse must not exceed their ability to understand. Okay, and the next paragraph. May God Most High purify their intention in their earnest request and our intention in complying with it. May he bless us with favor and keep it pure from the pitfalls of hypocrisy and the offense of dissimulation. May he open wide the hope of his mercy and the right path. May he grant facility and success so that which is said becomes faithful to behavior for words without action are waste, and declaring without practicing will be a cause of trouble in the hereafter. We I seek mean, refuge from God. I mean, let's look at the details of his du'a. Number one, may Allah Ta'ala purify their intention. That mm -hmm. I think we understand. Good. And, and what is our intention? Our intention is to comply. Good. And then maybe he bless us with favor and keep it pure. So may he keep our intentions pure and prevent us from hypocrisy. What is dissimulation? If you get a chance, look it up. Sure. But it's basically, uh, it's hypocrisy in the sense of being, you know, all cover but no, no substance. And then may he open wide the hope of his mercy and the right path. And those two go hand in hand. That you must always have hope in his mercy. And that by definition is a, a facet of the right path. If you lose hope in his mercy, or if you decide against hope in his mercy, you have literally fallen off the path. Mm -hmm.
and may he grant facility and success so that that which is said becomes faithful to the believer, to, to behavior, for words without action are a waste, and declaring without practice is a cause for trouble. So may he also tell us, show us how to make it happen. Otherwise, it's all talk, and that will get us in big trouble on the other side. All right, would you like to continue? Or? Yeah. Okay, so now we're getting to the beginning of the book disclosing the prolegomena to being a Muslim. First topic, concerning knowing oneself. Okay. Know that the key to the knowledge of God, maybe he, may he be honored and glorified, is knowledge of one's own self. Okay, so memorize that concept. You don't have to memorize the sentence, but memorize that concept. The key to knowledge of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is to know yourself. Now, obviously, we're not saying you are Allah, we're not saying that, but again, the point we're making is that the primary obstacle to me knowing Allah would be the filters that I have and not knowing that I have these filters. Meaning, if I know that I have these filters, then I remove them, which means I get to know myself better, which then removes most of the filters in my appreciation of Allah. Okay, continue. For this it has been said, he who knows himself knows his Lord. Mm -hmm. And it is for this that the Creator Most High said, We shall show them our signs on the horizons and within themselves, so that it will become evident to them that it is the truth. So that's a good idea to memorize. At the very least, memorize the reference in Surat Al-Fusilat. We will show, we'll show them our signs on the horizons. That's number one, within themselves. Mm -hmm so that it will become evident to them that it's the truth. So what are we saying? That a key to yaqeen is to appreciate the signs of Allah. That a lot of times people want rational proofs. Very rarely will rational proofs, number one, be irrefutable, like the proof for or against God's existence. And very rarely will even irrefutable rational proofs convince someone to have iman, to will someone have Help someone grow in their iman. As opposed to looking at the complexity of a plant and appreciating the plant's complexity and wonder is a better pathway to developing iman. Keep on. He said, we show them our signs in the universe and in their selves so that the true nature of truth may become revealed to them. Okay, keep going. In a word, there is nothing closer to thee than thou. If thou knowest not thyself, how canst thou know anything else? Mm -hmm. Indeed, if thou sayest thou knowest thyself, thou art in grievous error. Thou knowest nothing more than thyself than thy heat. Hey. Thy, thy, <laughs> thy head, face, hands, feet, flesh, and external skin. All thou knowest about thine insides is that when thou art hungry, thou must eat. When thou angered, thou fightest. When sexual appetite overcomes thee, thou seekest to copulate. In this, thou art the equal of the beasts of birth. Okay, uh, if it's easier, <laughs> you, can, you can use you rather than thou, and your rather than thy, but that's, that's up to you either way. So what is he saying here? You will not know anything, <laughs> you, know, you only know thy heed. Okay, so, so what we're saying here is, number one, there's nothing closer to you than you. Okay. Sounds like an obvious point, but seriously consider it, that you're always going everywhere with yourself. And, and so every time you're in another place, it's you with you. And so you can't see your face, yet everybody else can see your face. And your face may be revealing things that you don't realize you're revealing. 
but other people can see your face. Likewise, if you don't know yourself, then how can you possibly know anything else? Because meaning what? Your knowledge of yourself, the more obscured it is, the more, uh, the more not your knowledge of anything else is going to be obscured. The more your appreciation of everything else is going to be obscured. And be cautious against thinking, yeah, I've already figured myself out. I have self-mastery. Every time someone tells me that, and it happens more often than people might think, I usually respond with, seriously, seriously, you really think so? All you know would be your physical aspects. And you know a little bit about your appetites. And here he's saying, basically, when you have your appetites, you try to fulfill them, which makes you not that different than an animal. Okay, continue. Therefore, thou must seek out the truth before about thyself. What sort of thing art thou? Whence camest thou? Whither goest thou? Why hast thou come to this stopping place? For what purpose wert thou created? What is thy happiness, and in what does it lie? What is thy misery, and in what does it that lie? Okay, so piece by piece, what are we saying? One of your central chat tasks is to get to know yourself. What are you? Where are you from? Where are you headed? What is your role here in this stopping place? What's the stopping place? Dunya. Mm-hmm. Right. And what is your purpose? And then what is the key to happiness? And what is the key to sadness? Okay, continue. As for those attributes that are gathered inside thee, some are the attributes of beasts of burden, some are the attributes of fierce animals, some are the attributes of demons, and some are the attributes of the angels. Which of these art thou? which is the truth of thine essential nature, while the others are foreign and borrowed. If thou dost not know this, thou canst not seek thine own happiness, because for each of these there is a different nutriment and a different happiness. Okay, so now we have categories. Four types of people. One is the one who is like a beast of burden, like a cow. Another who is like a fierce animal, like a wolf. Another who is like a demon. And another who's like an angel. So all of us have pieces of each of these four, but each of us probably defaults closer to one of these more than the other three. So one of the questions is to figure out which one of these am I closest to? Because each one has its own nutrition and each one has a different happiness. Okay, continue. For the beasts of burden, their nutriment and their happiness is in eating, sleeping, and copulating. So yeah, so if I am cow-like, if I am like a bovine, then that's what I like. Just imagine a cow in the pasture. I like eating all day long, sleeping all day long, copulating all day long. And that's basically it. That's the key to my happiness. Okay, continue. If thou art of their kind, thou triest to satisfy thy stomach and thy genitalia night and day. As for the ferocious beasts, their nutriment and their happiness is in giving free reign to tearing apart, killing, and rage. Okay, so look at that type of animal. That person is conflict-seeking. This is a person who likes to destroy. Like they actually find happiness in fighting. So, of course, we're not talking about the happiness of Kimya Saada. We're not talking about Saada. We're, like, we're basically saying what makes this person, uh, what exhilarates this person, what gives this person joy. It's, it's the first person is just sit around and eat, you know, smoke weed all day long. And the second person is the one who just loves 
gossiping and loves getting angry and all those things. Mm-hmm. The next one. The nutriment of demons is the encouragement of evil, treachery, and deceit. Okay, so this person's even worse than the predator. This is a person who likes to get people to turn on each other. And it's as though they live in the realm of lies. To the point that what everyone else sees as a lie, that's sort of the world that they're in. That's their truth. To the point that they interpret everything through this lens of deceit. Very strange people. And this is uh, these people often tend to be very smart people. That doesn't mean smart people are demons, but demons are often very smart. And fundamentally, then they're dumb. <laughs> if thou art of them, busy thyself in their activities and attain thine ease and good fortune. Mm-hmm. And then we have the angels. As for the angels, their nutriment and their happiness is the contemplation of the divine presence. They are immune from the appetite, anger, and attributes of beasts and predators. If thou hast the angelic essence in thy nature, strive to come to know the divine presence and open thyself to the contemplation of its beauty. Liberate thyself from the grip from the grip of karma, carnal appetite and rage. Strive until thou dost understand the reason for the creation of these bestial traits within thee. Were they created to capture thee, to carry thee into service of the self, and to enslave thee in forced labor day and night? Thou must capture them before they capture thee. Thou must make of one thy vehicle, and of the other thy weapon for the journey that has been put before thee. Use them in these few days, that we are in this stopping place to hunt, with their aid, the seed of thine own spiritual happiness. Okay, so if we pair these together, <coughs> you have the bovine and then the, the wolf. Good. And so imagine the bovine, this is someone who just likes chewing all day long. Okay. The wolf has fangs and likes to use the fangs. And that's how the wolf derives pleasure, just tearing things apart. And then you have the demon and the angel. And both of these are smart people. But the demon likes to use it to cause deceit and treachery and all that. Treasure, not treasury, treachery uh, and all that. Whereas the angel likes reconciliation. The angel finds pleasure in reconciliation. Primarily, reconciliation with the divine. But even reconciliation with people. And so their appetite, all of us have our appetites, but they don't dominate us. And so, if you have the angelic presence, uh, angelic essence in your nature, then to satisfy it, strive to come to know the divine presence. Another thing to, to think about is the different ways that we will speak about Allah Ta'ala. Uh, out of manners, we will often use terms like the divine presence rather than come to know Allah. Uh, or just to make things a little bit easier in understanding. And open, open yourself to contemplation of, uh, here it says its, I don't like the translation, his beauty, or the beauty of its presence. And the first step to that is open yourself to appreciating the beauty of all the beautiful things around us. Like, you know, this, I mean, if you really think about it, at one level, this, this plant looks like this jungle that's not being taken care of, but yet it is on me to choose to see it as beauty. Like, for example, the green, and look at the way the leaves are. Some greens have this white in the middle, some greens have a little bit more of that, some greens have red, some of these green leaves have red in the middle. 
And so, in the way we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it is your choice to see things as beauty or as ugliness. Mm -hmm. One thing that, yeah. talking about like the, the plants in particular, one thing I came to the conclusion of, or one thing that helped me come to the conclusion that I only wanted to study biology, uh -huh. is that it's a means for me to appreciate the creation of Allah. Yeah, so, yeah, and I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't think that I have to move my whole career uh -huh. to pursue Islam. Totally. You There's might, other things that can bring me the... This is absolutely true. You might find yourself uh, having more Iman, you know, by taking the pathway of biology than you might by taking something that is more of an academic study of Islam. That's absolutely possible. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, think of all these, these different fields as ways to appreciate the greatness or the beauty of Allah Ta'ala. So what you have to do every time you find something interesting in class, stand up and say, Alhamdulillah, <laughs> right, to see what happens. I'll just write in my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, then, and so then further, <clears throat> liberate yourself from the grip of carnal appetite and rage. Notice that those, thing, those two things are paired together. Mm -hmm. That excessive fulfilling of your carnal appetite goes hand in hand with increase of rage. There's a certain amount of the carnal appetite that must be fulfilled. Uh, but the excess of it or the wrong use of it will be synonymous with anger. Now, of course, if someone has an anger problem, it doesn't mean that the reverse is true. Okay. And strive until you understand the reason for creation of all these things. So the point is that these things are also created purposeful. We're calling them poisons, but these poisons can also be beneficial. So he's calling them destroyers, but when they're used in the right way, they can also be of benefit. And so you must capture them before they capture you. Okay, when you're ready, continue to the next paragraph. When thou hast obtained that seed of happiness, place those tools underfoot and turn thy face to the resting place of thine own spiritual happiness, that resting place for which the elite expression is the divine presence, and for which the common expression is paradise. Okay, so uh, first addressing the latter part before the, the former part. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> if I am doing good deed to earn paradise, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing good to bring myself closer to Allah, that's better. For the common people, he's saying, it's the attainment of paradise, and that's fine. But for the spiritual elite, their paradise is to be closer to Allah Ta'ala. Meaning for the common person, it's the palaces and the maidens and the rivers and such a paradise. But for the spiritual elite, it is to be closer to Allah. That that is more precious, valuable, exhilarating, exciting, wondrous than paradise and paradise is so wondrous the lowest level of paradise is beyond what any of us can imagine okay continue all of these matters must be learned so that thou may know a little about thyself the prize of the way of religion for whoever does not come to know these is an empty shell and he is deprived of the true nature and the best part of religion okay so when we're saying an empty shell it means someone so we said that uh, i think we said last time that you start with sharia, and that helps you develop your spirituality. But if you do sharia and nothing else, then you're an empty shell. Mm -hmm. You're just actions. And inshallah, 
for that person, they will still get salvation. But we're saying, why stop at, at 50% when you can get 100%? Okay, let's stop right here. And so next time, inshallah, we'll do the outer form and inner spirit. But that means next time we'll probably be in January, inshallah. Okay. All right, so uh, any questions or anything? Um. Okay, subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natu ilaik wa akhirin da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.